This weekend, I'm continuing this series on sex, love, and relationships. And we are looking at what the Bible has to say, what is God's perspective on these very important areas of our lives. The Beatles thought that they had the answer when they started singing that song, All You Need Is Love. Actually, there's a little more to it than that. It's interesting that in our nation now, five out of 10 marriages will go down. And our country is being affected dramatically by the state of our marriages. And we now have to start earlier than pre-marriage counseling. We need to begin to, in high school, college, young adult, begin to understand that the way our marriages will go, to some extent, are directly related to our dating relationships, and that we have to get it right so that we can see marriages that are flourishing and great things are happening. Remember we mentioned that our relationships are founded on truth and love, this triangle, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like us to kind of pull out your, your Bible, pull out your notepad, and if you are in high school or college or wherever you are, today we're going to learn a little bit about having a better marriage. Would you pull open to Ephesians 5, and if you're here, just say amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin reading with verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, thank God, and 
be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32 and 33, let's read this together. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. In this dissertation on marriage, the Apostle Paul begins with husbands. And he gives us this direction as husbands to love our wives, our wives. Acapeo, unconditional love. And here we have a comparison of Christ and the relationship of a husband to his wife. And he says, now, let me give you the inside story how to do that. As Christ died on the cross, gave his whole life for us to have a new life, he now says to us that as husbands, we are to simply die to our own selfishness and that we are now to have a relationship not based on sex, not based on feeling, both of those are important, but our relationship is founded on this word, acapeo, say it, acapeo, on love. That's why if you have sex before marriage, you're off on the wrong road, going the wrong way. Thank you. So here the comparison is made that the husband is to love his wife three times over and over, thinking we don't get it, love her like you love yourself. Die to your selfishness because one translation says that everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. So here is Christ. We are his people, and he is doing everything that we ultimately will become more like him and holy and blameless. So also, as a husband, while he died, it may feel like you're dying, but you are dying to yourself, and you're doing everything you can to help your wife become better, not worse. So that you are pulling out of her the things that help her become better as a person and better 
spiritually and that your relationship is right and it functions together, husband and wife. It's not like this couple. This couple had been quarreling for quite a while. And after a while, they assumed this quiet status. For two days, no talk. And then one evening, the husband remembered that he had to get up in the morning, fly to Chicago, and meet with a business person. And he thought to himself, I'm not going to break the silence here. And he, said, he gave his wife a note, and he said, please be sure I'm awake by 5 o'clock. He went to bed, and alarm didn't go off, and he woke up, and it was 9 o'clock, and he was really upset. And just before he marched into her, into the kitchen, he saw a note, and the note said, get up, it's 5 o'clock. In verse 31 here, it is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It's interesting that the Hebrew word here, cleave, has to do with clinging or hold or to be close. So his intention when a husband and a wife, they are married at the altar and look so handsome and beautiful dresses and tuxedos and, and everyone is in awe, that when they get home, that there is this blending together, not only sexually, but emotionally, heart to heart, where they become, as he says here, one flesh. One couple that are bound together, they have decided to leave and cleave. And remember, your allegiance now goes to your husband, and it's not that your father controls you. There's a shift there. Thank you. So that your commitment is to your husband, and God will honor that. So there is this thing of becoming one together, united and the way we do that, we take kind of steps. You hold her hand. You hug her. Non-sexual touch. Hey, babe. 
you look cool. <laughs> hey, babe, I'm in love with you. Judy has this thing of looking with intense eyes and says to me, I'm in love with you. What am I going to say back? <laughs> so you're getting closer together. Biblical cleaving. Closer, closer, and closer. Gary Smalley did seminars across the entire world for 20 years. And in every one of his seminars, he would ask the question to couples, what do you believe is the one thing you can do to actually see your marriage get better? And every 300,000 people responded by saying, I can have better communication, better levels of communication. Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So we are communicating to each other by what we say and who we are. Many of you are aware that they have come up with different levels of communication. It begins with the cliche level. Hey, good morning. How's it going? How'd you sleep last night? Just a few words here and there. Then the second level goes up to a little bit more uh, simply facts. Hey, uh, Caleb really did good at the soccer game yesterday, and, uh, you know, Eddie is really playing great uh, baseball. Um, you know, I, I heard on the news that uh, the president of South Korea met with uh, the president of North Korea, and now they're going to denuclearize uh, the nation. How many believe that is a miracle right there? That's a miracle. Come on, give the Lord praise. So you're talking about facts, information, not personal, just talking about things. Third level is where you move into this thing of having an opinion. Well, you know, um, I really like the solar bears. I used to like the magic. I, <laughs> I like the Honda Civic. Um, so you kind of give your opinion. Uh, I like Church in the Sun. Got a real... Got a real question about the pastor, but I like the church. <laughs> and then you move from there to feelings. That's where you say, 
you know, I really felt hurt last night when my dad said this to me. When you begin to talk things that are personal, how you feel, like, I really had an incredible date last night, and I wanted to, to thank you. It was really a, an awesome, awesome time. Or, I think I'm in love with you again, all over. And after that, we get into the fifth area, and that's where we begin to talk about our needs. A wife says, I need you to hold me. A wife says, I need you to lead us financially. I need you to be more attentive to me. The other day when we were together in a group, you said this, and that really hurt me. And when we get it to that level, we are communicating at a point that is extremely beneficial because now we're sharing who we are. Our feelings don't have to be logical, and we don't have to think that we have to be in agreement all the time, but we do have to recognize feelings are real, and they need to be responded to. As we say these words every day and we speak, a husband was reading an article to his wife. And in the reading, he said, you know, women speak 20,000 words a day, and men speak seven. <laughs> 7,000. And she said, yeah, that's because I have to repeat everything to you. <laughs> and he turned his head and said, what? Is that true or not? Let me see. Huh? I was looking out there, and I didn't see any man clap on that. If that's true, women, do, just clap your hands if that's true. See, I'm, I have no corner on that. Now... I guess we have to ask the question uh, this morning, uh, how is it that all of us actually become uh, better in, and this starts in all relationships, so it doesn't begin in marriage, it's universal in our relationships. How can I become a person that has learned to listen? We have busyness, we have the social media, we have the distractions. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says that we have to be slow to listen. We have to be slow to speak. And the Bible says in this verse that we have to be slow to become angry. That means that we have to have understanding. 
We must ask God to give us understanding and become a student of our wife, a student of our husband, so that we are listening not to what we want to hear, but listening not from the mind, but from the heart, so that we are, we're there being attentive to them and that we are alert to what they are saying. And I might add that it takes great discipline to be married. That's why a lot of people should not get married if they are selfish. It is better for you to live in your house Put the ketchup where it needs to, where you want it to go, and the mayonnaise. Arrange the furniture. If you want it at the temperature at 34, go for it. You know, everybody wants to be married because we don't know what it is. It is a, 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 a discipline of the mind, soul, heart in every way. And if you're not disciplined, it's not going to work. Boy, this is getting exciting right now, right here. <laughs> Take that ring off. <laughs> uh, what we're saying here is that it's important that we value a person, your husband, your wife, by what you say. You're not devaluing them. I like what Danny Silk says he says, only those who value and understand themselves can then value and understand others. What I want to suggest here this morning is that we are more reflective and less emotional, especially as we're dealing with problems. Let there be space in the conversation where you're thinking rational because when you get really emotional, then the other person gets emotional and then it goes from this level to this level and now you've taken one little step that, that injures your marriage. And you do it enough times, two people who are really in love will find their backing up from each other. It's very important that we have understanding that we are listening. You're a student. If you're married, we need to be a student of our wife and husband, how they react, what is the time that works for them, what is she going through, what happened with the children, so that we're not simply deciding what is right and wrong in the situation, but the circumstance. We ought to be a student of our husband and a student, are you here, student of our wife that we're not acting like some kind of a person who has no discipline and we're just saying all kinds of stuff. You will wreck your marriage and you can have another marriage and another marriage and it's not always the other person. It's you don't have control of yourself and I'm off my notes. You just can't, well, I'm just going to let it rip. Yeah, your marriage will rip. I try to be perceptive, something I hadn't done. 
Try to be quiet, reflective, go pray for an hour. This last verse here, in verse, <laughs> in verse 33, everybody still with me? I want all the women uh, to read this uh, verse. Verse 33, all the women, high schoolers, married, whomever, women. Read it, here we go. However... You know, that's so good. Let's read that again, ladies. Here we go. However, now, I don't know how to put that in words, but you know what it is. There are people that we know we respect. I don't know why we treat people better outside of our house. Oh, Jimmy, so nice to see you. Have a seat. And then go home and disrespect your husband. Seems to me back home should be the place of respect along with every other place. Ladies, I want to mention this. You already know it. You get in a conflict, and you're really going at the guy, okay? He starts to get quiet. Let me tell you, you know this. What he is doing is he is backing up from you right now because you have hurt him in the process. And when you say those one-liners, and you keep saying it, he will go into his chair and cave and he won't open his heart to you anymore. But when you respect him, hon, thank you for all you do. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for leading our family spiritually. Thank you for what we do what you do with our children in the morning. What you're doing is you are respecting him. And if we get these two together of love and respect, what's going to happen is we're going to have absolutely incredible, awesome marriages right now the divorce rate in the church is the same as in the world. It ought not be. Are, are you still here? I, uh, Judy is so wonderful. She knows what to say to me. Uh, I work on my sermon till late Thursday night. And I'll, I'll have all these books, and I prayed, and I said, oh, my God, how do I put this together? And I'll call her, and she'll call me every 30 or 40 minutes. Hey, babe, how you doing with your message? Hon, I can't get this together. I don't know how. Now, listen, you got a word from God, and she gives me a talk. 
And I turn around at my desk and say, yes, I can do this. <laughs> and then she'll come, we'll just be somewhere, and she'll, oh, Alex, I'm so, and she lists all about eight things. I know they're not true. But she says it with such sincerity. And I don't want to counter her. A lot, of, a lot of what I am is because the girl here. A lot of what I am. And ladies, uh, <laughs> don't try to change your husband. I saw this diagram, and I think it's pretty cool because it has these pillows, and one is his pillow, and one is your pillow, and in the center is the relationship, and that you cannot move over there and try to make her or him change. We change our children, yes we do, until they become adults. You go to bed. I told you to pick up those toys. I told you, you're changing their behavior. You're changing them. You go to work. They say, listen, we start at 8 o'clock. And you have an hour for lunch. And they change you. They change you. When it comes into the family, you can't change that person. We have people uh, who are rescuers. Listen to this. That are rescuers. They rescue victim, victims. And then they marry victims. And then hate them. And they marry victims because they're codependent and they feel like they're going to change people. Codependent people. I have seen couples, some girl will get some guy, he's on drugs, he's messed up. She marries him. She knows it. She's going to change him. She's crazy. <laughs> she's crazy. Mental. Mental. We had a question on Wednesday night, and the question was something like this. What? I'm trying to get my husband to go to church, and he won't go to church. What should I do? Well, I can tell you what a lot of women do. They nag the life out of the guy. Well, you need to go to church. I told you to go to church. You're going to go to church. Yeah, you're going to go to church. You know what you're doing? What you're doing is you are, you are trying to change your husband. You have... You haven't, you haven't gotten it yet. You're not going to change this dude. You're not going to change him. All you can do is say, I would like you to go to church. You can say that a few times with wisdom and with sincerity without the thing. I want you to go to church. I, you never go to church. That's counterproductive. You ask the man, this man is an adult. He drives a car. He has a job. <laughs> He's not seven years old. And then what you do is he, he, you don't get it. He doesn't want to go to church. He doesn't want to go to church. You got it? And then as an adult, you get up, you get your kids, and you say, Jimmy, we're going to church. And you go to church, and you pray, and you ask God, but it's in his hands. 
A lot of our problems are, we're going to change this guy. We're going to change this girl. There's very little you can do to change a person. If we are discipling a person, we are not changing them. We tell them what God says. We explain it, but then it's in the hands of God. Because that's when God can work. When we get our hands off of it, and remember that diagram there, the center part is your relationship. You can't go across and step on his pillow. You commit him to the Lord. And then ultimately, a lot of people say, well, I prayed and it didn't happen, and, and I prayed. Listen, listen, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Some of these situations, a person has a will. You think God's going to make every person in the world get saved and do what's right? He's not, no. He says, I died, and whoever comes, I'll change your life. He doesn't make anyone come to him. That should teach you something right there, that our will is holy. And I found the more you back off, the more they come. It's like every now and then I'll hear of somebody guy, they're married, and this guy says, I don't want to be married to you anymore, and he's got all this stuff, and then she cries and goes after him, goes after him. No. You write him a letter and say, you walk down the aisle. You came of free will. You don't want to be with me anymore. I release you. Don't, this is for someone, don't spend the next 10 years because you want to be married. Listen, when somebody, they don't want you. There's a point where you say, praise God. Hallelujah. Are you with me this morning? Yes. And I close with this, that I felt like the Lord wanted to say to us that he wants to bring a mighty revival in our relationships and that he's gonna bring homes back to order and our young people are not going to have sex before marriage, that we're gonna have a, revolu a revolution of sexual purity in our church and that you're gonna raise your kids if they've already messed up, they can have their purity restored through Jesus and that we're not gonna sleep around and no, we're not sleeping around with our neighbor's wife, our husband, this guy, that guy, we're not sleeping around, we're sleeping in, we're sleeping in our own bed we're doing the right things and we're raising a generation to having good marriages and we're going to end divorces in the name of Jesus. We're going to end divorces in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And we're going to work at our marriages and we're going to pray together and we are going to see God do great things. And then our children and our generation, we are going to do everything that we can to model so that when our kids are married, the pre-marriage course is, is just that much because you've been watching your mom and dad for 20 years and you are patterning your marriage after your mom and dad because they loved each other. And I'm believing for a revolution. I'm believing for young people in high school, college, and you're going out with a guy and the guy wants to have sex, you rise up. You don't think for a second because you're going to keep yourself pure and tell that guy, get out of the car. I'm not having sex with you and drive me home.
Wow. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The word came to me over and over. Outpouring. Say that word, outpouring. Outpouring, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Outpouring. Outpouring. Outpouring like the rains in summer here in Florida. Outpouring. Outpouring. Zachariah said, he said, it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then he says this in verse 7. Who are you, mighty great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become as a plain, and he shall bring forth the top tapstone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. This prophet speaks this because Zerubbabel is building the temple and everybody's coming against Zerubbabel and Zechariah the prophet comes up and he says who are you who are you mountain who are you mountain you will come down for we will shout grace grace to you and the capstone will be put on this tabernacle we are not going to contend we are not going to stay where we are we are not going to allow the enemy to take that mountain and take us out we will not do it we have to decide we have to decide that mountain is coming down. We have to decide in our hearts that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So that when I have a revelation of who he is, I don't worship him as God. I don't worship him as a good God. I begin to worship him as great as the Lord. I begin to, I begin to lift my, my mouth and my voice. And I begin to say by my praise, you are coming down. Mountain, you are coming down. Mountain, you are not taking my marriage in the name of Jesus. You are not in the name of Jesus. I am not losing my marriage. I'm not giving up my kids. I'm not losing anything in the name of Jesus. And when we begin to shout, when we begin to praise, when we begin to rejoice, there is a shattering of the enemy and the breaking of the grip of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
asked everyone uh, not to leave for just a couple minutes if it's possible, but when I read that verse and it said, that mountain is coming down, the mountain is saying, you're not going to build that tabernacle. And that prophet came in and said, we're going to shout grace, grace. And I thought, what if today on this Sunday, our mountains come down in a moment, we're going to begin to shout. But this is a shout against the mountain that it has to come down in the name of Jesus. It has to come down, and we're going to focus on our family relationships, our kids, our family, husbands and wives, where we begin to say, you're not taking any more from me. I'm drawing the line. I'm going to build my marriage in the name of Jesus. So we're going to, we're going to shout. I want, want you to think about the mountain that is before you. Put the mountain right in front of you in the name of Jesus. It may be your unsaved son. It may be your unsaved daughter, whatever it is. We're not having this. And we may have shouted before, but we're not going to stop shouting until the mountain comes down. One, two, three. Grace. We never end our services without giving people an opportunity to encounter Christ, to be forgiven of their sins. Cross here reminds us that Christ gave his life for us so that we could be forgiven and made righteous and also to be healed and made whole. Doesn't matter how bad we've been, doesn't matter how long the dark road has been but Christ is able to forgive us. We can't fully comprehend it because we always think we get what we deserve. But with the grace of God, we get his forgiveness and grace when we open our hearts and say yes. 
just a moment, we want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and say, listen, pray for me. I want, I want to be forgiven. I want, I want this kind of new life with Jesus. And I can tell you he'll do it because we're all valuable. That's why he died on the cross. So if you're here and you say, yes, I want to do that, just put up a hand right now and say, pray for me. Put it up, all with the boat. Put it up, put it up, put it up, wherever you are. Do it, yes, over here, over there. Put it up, put it up. Just say, yes, yes, Jesus. I'm going to ask all, the, all of you that raise your hand, walk the aisle and just stand right here, and we'll have a short prayer with you. Wherever you are, balcony, there's a hand up there. Come down all the way. Come, come, come just as you are. Come, come just as you are. Come right now. Come right as you are, couples, individuals. Oh, what a name. Thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I Hallelujah, oh, what Thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I Feel like there are others that need to come don't hold back when you have in your hand the opportunity to touch and experience Christ and you feel that warmth of your heart drawing you don't walk from that you might say you don't understand what I'm going through and that's certainly right but Christ does because he's concerned about every one of us I do know every time an altar call is given, I see a war going on because the enemy has people. He's putting thoughts. Look what you did. Look who you are. That's not your mind. That's the enemy telling you that you can't change because he wants you as his disciple forevermore bound in what you're in. But I break that in the name of Jesus. You're getting out right now in the name of Jesus. I release you from that grip of evil. I release you in the name of Jesus. You're here in this building. You used to know God. You got on the wrong track. And you think, I'm never going to be able to come back. Who would tell you that but the enemy? Would the Lord say, you, you, you can't come back? The enemy said, there's several people here. You knew God. You walk with God. And you're down the dark road. And Jesus put you in this meeting today to say to you, Betty, come home. And he's speaking to you right now. I release the grip of Satan in the name of Jesus. Now you come down to this altar in the name of Jesus. Come right now, wherever you are. In that balcony, get down here. Yes, yes. Get down here right now. Come right now. In Jesus' name. 
You come right now in Jesus' name. That's it. That's it. Keep singing. In Jesus' name. You come right now. You come right now in Jesus' name. Hey, is this amazing? Look at all these friends here. Hallelujah. 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 We win. And we're going to pray this prayer. You that are watching on, on our online campus, you pray this prayer. Or if you didn't come, you pray the prayer. And right after this, Pastor Dave will take you to the side for a couple minutes. We have friends there, and we'll have prayer with you. But let's say this together. Jesus. I put my faith in you. You took my sin on the cross. I confess and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he's alive. Return from my sin. I repent of my sin. I abandon my life to follow Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. Give me your grace, the gift of righteousness, and eternal life. You prayed that prayer from your heart. You are in the family. Go ahead. God bless you. God bless you.